Yeah, good morning, everybody. Looking better? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, we'll see. So, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, it's good to see everybody this morning. In uh, this new series that we're starting today, I think Erica said, you know, you heard there might be some things that are tough for us to hear, and there'll be some things, I think, in this series that might be tough for us to hear, but we said it in a couple series ago, and really, if you think about it, in every series that we do and everything that we teach is we teach the gospel. If we're honest with ourselves, there's a point in every, every person's life with the gospel where the gospel is offensive to the person that hears it because it is so contradictory to everything that we hear in the world around us and the culture around us. It is completely opposite to what the gospel teaches us. And so it will not be a surprise, this series, as it shouldn't be a surprise any series, that we hear words that challenge us, that challenge maybe some deeply held beliefs that we've had for a long time. And uh, my prayer is that God's words would continue to challenge us the rest of our lives on, and expose those things that maybe haven't been exposed yet. And so maybe this series is one of those where we'll look at that. We're going to be looking at the prophet Micah. As I said earlier, that verse in Micah that we've heard, you know, what is it the Lord expects from you in Micah 6, chapter 8, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, that uh, we are really going to be exploring these next three weeks, weeks 2, 3, and 4. But today, we're going to turn to some text that's a little bit before that. We're going to look at the book of Micah just briefly to give you some context. Micah was a prophet at the, around the time of Isaiah prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah uh, in the late, in the early, late, it's hard to, when you go B.C., how everything goes backwards, you know. It's like before Christ, before somewhere around 720, somewhere around there, 700 B.C., where he's prophesying to the, to the people in the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and in this book, he has two main charges. God has issued three challenges, three judgments against the people of Judah. And he said there are three different ways that he's judging them, and there are two main charges that he holds against them. And the two main charges that he holds against his people are idolatry, worship, worshiping false gods, and social injustice. And I use the term social injustice because that's what we would describe what he's saying in the book of Micah today. It's how we would look at it. That God is saying to the children of Judah that you are not treating people fairly. You are not treating people the way I have asked you to treat them in the law. And how you are to take care of the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, the, the oppressed, the, the, those people that are deemed less than. God has given his people orders to actually look after their needs and to, and to be proactive. And what he's finding in, in his people is that they could care less about those who are marginalized and those who are oppressed and those who are poor and actually still exploiting them for their gain. And that's his charge that he has against them. And you'll see that in these, chap as these chapter divisions. One through two, three and five, six and seven are the three judgments that he has against his people. And you'll see that over and over again. That God is a God who cares for the oppressed, the marginalized, and the poor. The widows, the orphans, the immigrants. Those that culture in the world deem less than for, for numerous reasons. And we see that elsewhere in the text. We see that elsewhere in the Bible. And in Psalm, or Proverbs 14, it says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Whenever we oppress the poor, we insult God, is what he says. But he who is generous to the needy honors him, honors the Lord. 
And one of the charges in Micah that he levels toward his people is that you drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. You have no concern for the things that your God has concern for. You have no interest in, in, in doing the things that I've asked you to do. And those are the charges that he's leveling against his people. But the amazing thing about God at the end of each one of these sections, instead of silence, instead of being just pronouncing judgment upon his people all three times, he speaks of an action that he will take. And, and he promises that even though they've been disobedient, even though they haven't done what he, he's asked them to do, that he will come and make things right. That there is hope because God is still sitting on his throne. And one of these section, sections of hope start in Micah chapter 6 where it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. He has shown you that he's asked you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You know that is what the Lord your God requires of you. But as he'll go on to say, but that's not how you're living. That's not how you're acting toward people. And he's calling us to plead the cause of the poor, to take up their interest and their cause and their needs. Because he is a God who pleads for the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. And he asks the people that follow him to walk in his ways. And so today we're going to turn to Micah chapter 4, those first seven verses that you heard Linda read to kind of see in just the middle of this book exactly what God is saying to the children of Israel and how that applies to us today. So before we get there, I ask if you would bow your heads, pray with me, and we'll, we'll begin. Father, we ask you this morning humbly to teach us in this time. I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, that everything I say, all the things I say and think would be bring glory to your name. And I pray that you would just silence me in areas that would be contrary. Father, we place our hope in you this morning. I place my hope in your spirit that is working, that you would continue to work in spite of me, continue to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in September the 19th, 1865, U.S. Major General pulls into Galveston, Texas. Pulls into Galveston, Texas, and two and a half, full two and a half years after Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. He pulls in and he issues this General Order Number 3 on June the 19th, 1865. And this is what he announces to the people of Texas. He says, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights, of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they, are not, they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will, be, they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. U.S. Major General Gordon Granger spoke those words to the people of Galveston. And this date, June 19th, 1865, has come to be known as June, what we know as Juneteenth. And Texas was actually the very first state to make this a state holiday. 
since about 1980. And since then, 45 other states along with Washington, D.C. have joined in making this a statewide celebration. And it, it is Juneteenth is the oldest known celebration of that emancipation, of the end of slavery. But we know slavery didn't end at the announcement that slaves were free. We know from history that in Texas, it was still at least another year that slave masters kept this news from their slaves and they kept them working, at least through the next crop. And then they found ingenious ways to keep slaves slaves through the horrible practice of sharecropping and, and using prison prisoners to lease them out to handle farming and, and, and still do the work but try to skirt the law. And we know that it was long and 100 years, more than 100 years later, that people who were of color in this country had the right to vote, something that took way, way too long. And we know that the beliefs that, that fed this thought about slavery still exists in the hearts and minds of, of people in this country today. And we see it over and over again. And, and this coming Saturday, we celebrate Juneteenth in this country. And as we do so, we should be reminded that we serve a God who cares for the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. And he is continuing to set people free as he has set us free from the slavery to sin and death. And that he continues to do that today. But just like the slaves of 1865, they didn't really and haven't yet really fully realized the freedom that was granted them. We truly haven't experienced and will not experience the true freedom from slavery to sin until Jesus comes again. But until that time, he gives us instructions how we are to live and how we are to follow him, a God who pleads the cause of the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. And so this morning, before we turn to six, chapter 6 next week, I want to turn to chapter 4 and see what it is that God is calling us to do through the prophet of Micah, what he's calling us to do today. In chapter 4, he, he speaks this in verse 1. He says, in the last days, this is what it will be like when God comes again. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills. And peoples, not a people, but peoples will stream to it. Not just the Jewish people, but peoples from all nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. That is the promise that God makes to the children of Israel, and he promises to us today that that is what he is preparing for us. A time where people from all nations, all colors, all races, will be worshiping God at his mountain. The kingdom of heaven will be a very diverse place, much more diverse than the, this room, and much more diverse than, I would argue, most churches on a Sunday morning. But in the meantime, he's calling us to walk in his ways. Even he's calling to this people who are, there, who are themselves at this time oppressed, who are being threatened by Assyria and by Babylon, by King Sennacherib, who's on, their, on his way 
to conquer them. This is what God is saying. This is what will happen to you. Not if you do this, this won't happen. No, this is what will happen to you. You will continue to bow down to their idols. You will continue to practice social injustice, and as a result, this is what will happen. But take heart. There's hope. God is making a better way. He goes on to say in verses 3 to 4, it says that he will judge, that he will judge many for their dis- in their disputes. He will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train any more for war. God is saying when that time comes that he comes again, he has spoken and there will be no more disagreement. There will be no marginalizing people. He will decide all disputes. He, the one who is truly just, who truly pleads the cause of everyone. He will be the judge, and he will settle all of the disputes, and there will be no need for war. He goes on to say, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. He will provide for them. There will be no need to fight in war, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. He will be their God and they will need not fear anything. Because when that time comes, those that have continued to practice injustice, those who continue to put their hope in themselves and see value in what you have and who you are, will find themselves separated from God for eternity. And God shows us that he has a special place in his heart for those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized. He goes on to say, in verses 6 through 7. He said, In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant. Those driven away a strong nation, the Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day on and forever. The Lord says that he has a place for the lame, the exile, those who have been driven away. He will make them a strong nation. He will be their God. God has a heart for his people and a special place for those who are oppressed and marginalized and poor. And, and, and he has strong words for those who continue to marginalize people, to exploit people, or to think people less than because of the color of their skin or their economic condition. For whatever reason, to, to think of another human being as less than yourself is walking not in the Lord's path, but in another's path. And his call to us is is to walk in his paths. Remember in verse 2 it says, he will teach us his ways and to walk in his path. If you noticed, I skipped a verse, and it's verse 5. And I want to go back to that because this is what he says to us, his people. He says to us today, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, All other nations, all other peoples may walk in the ways of their gods. Remember Martin Luther says a God is whatever you put your fear, hope, and trust in. People, let them walk in the ways of their political parties. Let them walk in the ways of of their ideologies. Let them walk in those ways. But we, as God's people, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. 
That is what he's calling us to do, is to put aside these long-held beliefs, these ideologies, these things that have been taught from us since we were little that are not God's commands to us to devalue another human being or to exploit another people group for our benefit, but to actually plead their cause and to, to bring an end to that and to work even though we know it will always exist until he comes back. Jesus said, remember, you will always have the poor with you. But that does not dismiss us from the responsibility of caring and being God's people, being his image bearers in this world today. That's what he's calling us to do. But he's not waiting until Jesus comes again. In fact, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. And then the prophet says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times." These are the words that the angel spoke to Joseph about the baby that Mary was carrying. Jesus was God, the Messiah, prophesied by Micah that it would be out of Bethlehem. Remember when, when King Herod asked where the Messiah was to be born, the, the leaders and the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees said that well, it's Bethlehem, and from Bethlehem will come their Savior, and he will come to teach us his ways. He will come and encourage us to walk in his path. In fact, Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and quoting from the prophet Isaiah chapter 61 said these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor not just to proclaim good news to the poor, but to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. God's mission hasn't changed. And he's calling his people to walk in his ways. In fact, the last words in Matthew that Jesus spoke to his disciples is that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. Everything. And I'm with you always to the very end of the age, he tells his disciples, and he's with us to equip us, to empower us, to, to lead us to walk in his ways. And, and to, to illuminate the path that he's called us to walk along. But the thing about the light, the thing that it does is it exposes the darkness. And our prayer through this series is that, that this truth about Jesus, his heart for the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed would illuminate those areas in our hearts and in our minds that have been darkened by beliefs or ideologies here in this world. And then it would challenge our hearts and then it would challenge our minds to think differently about this topic of social justice and, and what he's calling us to do not just what he's calling us not to do, but what is he actually calling us to do? How is he asking us to take up this cause as his people? How is he calling us individually and corporately to walk in his ways? 
to learn from him. So these next three weeks, we're going to take a look at what does he mean? What does it mean to do justice? And how are we to show mercy? And, and where does that motivation come from? And then how are we called to walk humbly with our God? The next three weeks, we're going to look at each one of those topics as we continue to want to walk in his ways, to learn from him every time we gather, every time we read his word. He's there to teach us and instruct us, to make us more like his son. I pray, come back next week as we continue this march through Micah and through this text. And I pray that uh, God continues to work this day in each of our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that challenges us. Your word that was written almost 3,000 years ago is still relevant today in the year 2021. And I would argue that it, Father, you teach us that it is just as relevant and sometimes even more relevant today because what has been hidden in our hearts and in our minds Father, I pray that you would expose it. And this morning as we gather, I confess to you in my heart, in my mind, my devaluing of people. Your word reminds me that your son came and died for all people. He counts every single one of us as worthy, as having worth in your eyes. So, Father, I confess and ask for your forgiveness. I pray that you create in us a new heart, a clean heart, O oh God, that you would lead us in the way of life everlasting, that you would examine our hearts and know our anxious thoughts and lead us in the way everlasting, that you would continue to challenge us and lead us in the way everlasting. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son who unites us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper, this meal that he instituted with his disciples the night that he was betrayed. He instituted this meal for their benefit and for ours. That night, he prayed in the garden. He prayed for his disciples, but he also prayed for us today that we would be one and we would be united, that we would be one in him as he is one in the Father, that we would have the heart for the people of this world that God has for us and for the people of this world. And this meal is a reminder to us this morning of the worth that God has placed on every human life because he gave his life for every human life. And this meal is a reminder of the love that God has for us. So that night that he was betrayed, he took bread in the meal. And when he broke it, he blessed and he gave it to his disciples as he gives to you this morning. And he said, take and eat, this is my body. It's been given for you. Do this as often as you eat of it in remembrance of me. Take and eat, the body of Jesus given for you. And in the same way, after supper, 
He took the cup of wine, and when he blessed, he gave it to his disciples as he gives to each of you this morning. And he said, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood that's been poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you drink of it, remember me. Take and drink the blood of Jesus given for you. This body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with the bread and wine, we receive his body and blood to remind us of the sacrifice, to remind us of his love, but also to empower us to live the life of Jesus. It is a tangible way for us to remember that Jesus came and was oppressed and he was marginalized and he lived a poor life and he calls us to follow after him, to share this good news with the people that do not know him, to share it with our children so that they may never forget the value that they have in the eyes of the Lord our God. My prayer for you this morning is that this body and blood would keep you in the one true faith until life everlasting, that this faith that God has given you would be a blessing to your children and to their children and to their children's children. My prayer for every one of you is that you would keep seeking after him because he promises that as you do, you will find him. And he will create in each of us that clean heart that he promises to keep working at from now until he comes again. I pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen.